Good morning, everyone. My name is Owen. kind of thing that I do during the week is I have long chats with individual people usually who are either recovering from trauma or domestic violence or something like that. So for me to, to, to work out how God can get involved in stuff like that is flipping important. Now we're going to pray and I'm just going to ask you to cooperate with God. While I'm praying, I'm just going to ask you to remember that he's here. While I'm praying, I'm going to ask you to use your breathing as a reminder that he's so close that you're breathing him in every breath. So God, would you do a murmuration in this room? Unite us, make us one. We want to be one with you. In any way that you can sync us to whatever you're doing, we'd like a download of that, please. Maximise your presence now. Take us to a new place in you today, please. And Lord, guide the words of my mouth. Amen. There are some scriptures that I find hard, and I'm going to be touching on some of them today. This one came out of a prayer that Jesus prayed just before he went to the cross. Now apparently there's, there's a, a kind of oneness that like, like this is, remember this is at the pinnacle of his ministry. He's, all of the wisdom he's gained about, about God in his 33 years on the planet, this is the pinnacle of his wisdom coming out here. He's, he's talking to the Father and saying, okay. So I wonder how we do this one thing. It's stuff like that that exercises my mind. What if it's the only way that I can actually be effectively a Christian? So there's, there's something to do with in. In comes up in this, this verse a couple of times. There's something about him being in me, me being in him. All right, I guess we get the thing about him being in us, right? We, we read lots of scriptures where Jesus lives inside us. Yeah. Let's start wondering, how, how do we do the other thing where we are in him? The implications are shown in the last part of this passage. If we can actually discover how to do this, stuff starts happening. Now, I wonder if the world is waiting for us to work out how to be in him and him in us. I wonder what's going to happen when we crack this chestnut. Straight away, the word one was there. And I, I kept having my doubts, am I hearing from God right? And I just kept hearing this word one repeatedly. So I go, all right, I think, I think I'm on the right track. But still when I'm driving here this morning, I've got my doubts thinking, did, did I hear, hear right from God? And I drive past a sign on, what's the street down here? Clear, no, not Cleopatra. The, that one. Nah, anyway. 
the one, the one down the end of the street here, across here. All right, so there's a real estate sign sitting on a property right on the corner, one residential, and I'm going, oh, all right, thanks, Lord, I think I needed that reminder. Okay, we're on the right track. So maybe there's somebody here today that, that just wants to discover how to be one with God. Just maybe there's one person. Now, I deliberately chose this background here because there was a different kind of experience of God's presence on the earth until Jesus died. His presence was behind a curtain in the tabernacle, in the temple. But when Jesus died, the curtain ripped so that the fabric was yea thick. This is not something a human hand could have conspired to do. Look at the implications of what started happening the moment God's presence was now able to get out. This could only happen after Jesus died. Once he died, God's presence could be liberated across the whole planet. And now his presence is available in this room right now, 24-7, wherever we go. We can access his presence continually now. But before that curtain ripped, something else was happening. It was a more confined experience of God, limited to the high priest. So on those days where it feels like God's left you, you're conning yourself. That scripture tells us otherwise. I do that sort of thing. I, I, I make up a story in my head that, that God's not close to me. It's actually the other way around. It, somehow I've lost connection with him. Which means God with us. Now somebody else has got a really cool name here, Elijah. I just looked up the name uh, during the song service because I didn't know about Elijah. It means Yahweh is my God. Names are important. A couple of other names I picked up today during meet and greet, Davis and Temba. Special welcome to you guys. God get them to do things for these two men today. So he is always present. Just wish that I was better at staying connected with him continually. I'll tell you what, I've found one really good way to, uh, to motivate that. To have a lot of painful feelings that you can't get ease from any other way. To have a lot of painful emotions that have been stored up from hurt a long time ago and you find the only way to get relief is by connecting with God's presence and getting some peace. That's a real motivator. That's my every day, okay? What if the people with the best advantage in learning how to be one with God in this room are the, one who've been, the ones who've been through the most traumatic stuff? Scripture says things about blessed are the poor in spirit. The ones that have been knocked around. Maybe there's an advantage to us if we've had a bit of knocking around. We're going to bump into his presence more often because we're so eager for some peace. But there are some things that can get in the way. 
of our connection with God. I used to think when Moses was asked to take his sandals off, it's because he wasn't supposed to get his toe jam on the ground and pollute the place where God was. And every part of him. And taking his shoes off represented taking away one more barrier between him and God's presence. We are going to touch on some barriers today. It's so good that God doesn't just go looking for people who've got it all together. He's looking for those that have been through some rough stuff. He's looking for those of us who have to pretend to be okay just to turn up every day. He's looking for people who have failed, who have slipped, who have gone through a lot of anxiety. So this is one of my least favourite parts of scripture. The Apostle Peter is about to get a lesson about something that gets in the way between us and God's presence. He probably didn't know that at the time, but he asks Jesus this question. Okay, if I'm going to forgive somebody, is it enough if I forgive them seven times? Now, the number seven in Hebrew means complete. So you could, <laughs> you could excuse Peter for thinking he knew just enough Hebrew to go, how clever am I? Seven would be complete. And Jesus just goes, well, seven times 70 perhaps? And there's no magic in 490 but it does mean a big number until it's complete. Now, I was reading a Christian article a couple of years ago where this really dropped on me. The, the, the conviction of this passage hit me. I want to prelude this story. I, I actually went to a conference in Sydney at Sydney Adventist Hospital several years ago run by one of the people that works in the office over the road from that place. And the, the whole conference was on forgiveness. Now, I, I didn't know my family on the New Zealand side of my family till I got my first teaching job in Auckland. And I used genealogy as an excuse to make appointments to catch up, to meet with all of these family people to work out who's who in the zoo and just discover a little bit about family Robinson. So I, I kept bumping into these people, hardened. They weren't very emotionally vulnerable. There were stories about differences between siblings that had never been resolved. There were horrible things going on between parents and kids right throughout the whole family network. And I'm going, okay. This is a bit of a formidable bunch of people and I come from the same stock. So here I am at this conference on forgiveness thinking, well, it's probably a good idea to learn about forgiveness but not really internalising anything. They had Lindy Chamberlain speaking. They had another guy from the US, uh, a professor who had actually been funded several million dollars by industry to study forgiveness. Now, I didn't compute that for a while. I'm thinking, why the heck would industry be funding that sort of research? Then the penny dropped. Every HR department on the planet wants to crack that. 
the number of differences that you have between staff, wouldn't that be a great thing if you could work out actually how to get staff to get on with each other? Smart, probably. So this guy, uh, as soon as I realised he was a professor, I thought, OK, yeah, we're going to get a real dry presentation here, academic research. Lived through the homicide of his mother during a home invasion, and so he, he had actually learned this stuff himself. He had to put skin in the game. Twelve, within 12 months of his mother dying, his brother had become really depressed after the mother's death and as they were working through the estate and all that stuff you do after somebody dies in the family. And the brother's mental health just continued to slide and he ended up dying by suicide within 12 months. So now this man had two massive losses. My ears were pinned back from here on. I thought, this guy has had to understand forgiveness on a level that most academics wouldn't even dream of. So as Professor Worthington described his research, he said that they, they particularly targeted people who had had homicides in their families for the research. And when they looked at the families where, where people had actually crossed that line where they no longer wanted something bad to happen to the person that was in prison, they found that there was a theme. All of them had like a go day. I don't feel like it, but I'm starting. Does it sound like the 70, 70 times 7 thing? With forgiveness, if we don't make a start, we're not going to get closer to the whatever number it's going to take to, to get there. So the go day was uniform through the research. And then he said the much longer phase was the, the phase where they became aware they had emotionally forgiven the person in prison. They no longer resented the person. They no longer had bitterness towards the person. They weren't dehumanising this person as a perpetrator. They were thinking of that person by name. They... they some, some families would visit that person in prison, make gestures to acknowledge the forgiveness, and I'm going, I, I don't know how you would do that. How would I? I come from a family that doesn't know how to forgive. <laughs> Even small things, let alone something that big. The scale of homicide is huge. The, the impact of it. One of the social workers I've met here in Perth made a study of this straight after killing the children. She lost one of her, or her legs from here down because of the gunshot injuries. And she chose to research with families here in Perth, in WA, to visit the families who'd lost somebody to homicide. One of the intriguing things but she found uniformly every, every family member lost their, their friend group overnight. It's like the scale of the impact of this story was so raw, so overwhelming, that people felt like, I didn't sign up for this. And none of them realised that everyone else did the same as them, but they all just... 
the people who made friends with the, the family after this time knew what they were signing up for and they were friends for life. Interesting. But, but the impact of something like a homicide is just huge. So how do we forgive stuff like that? I'm going to jump down to verse 34 here to come back to my story. I described how I, I've done a battle with anxiety. I've got a, a little bit of a trauma history in my background. And it would hit me hardest at night. I might get a block of sleep for a few hours and then I'd be awake feeling like I was, like I had a, a fire going through me, through my body, and it would keep me awake. That word tormented is the closest word to describe what that felt like. I might get back to sleep again, but first thing in the morning, as soon as I'd wake up, within a nanosecond of waking up, there it was again. And when I read this Christian article that included this story, this definitely fits with my picture of scripture that I disagree with, so I know that there's something wrong on my end, okay? I think we're supposed to read scripture to work out where we disagree with God. This is, this is sure one of my big ones. So I started to, started a practice where I thought, okay, I'm going to use Worthington's two stages that he talked about in the, at that presentation. I thought God, God was there, he heard the presentation. And I'd say, all right, God, I, I'm, I'm starting. I don't know how to finish this process. If I've got to work out how to successfully complete a forgiveness journey all on my own, I know it's above my pay grade. So I've kind of went, handball, Jesus, you've got to do this in me. <clears throat> Otherwise, I messed up. And I love the, uh, the, the songs that the, the praise team chose today. I don't know if they realise, but one of the songs is the same as the last time I spoke here. Um, strength will rise as we wait on the Lord. So that's that waiting on the Lord bit is what I decided I was going to try next. Yes, I, I, I'm starting the forgiveness. You finish it, Jesus. Now, I'm going to shut up, no words. I'm going to focus on my temple of the Holy Spirit and what he might be doing. I'm going to look for that little one percenter of peace if it kills me. There's got to be 1% of peace turn up if I wait. And sure enough, it would. Scripture promises if we seek him, we'll find him. And he's the Prince of Peace. And he's available 24-7. He's in the room. He's here. Now, I didn't tell you this story to put a spotlight on Owen. The spotlight's coming back your way. I'm going to challenge you right now. Not to tell anybody what you're thinking, but to think of one person in this room, could have been the person you drove here with, that you might have even the smallest, smallest <clears throat> gripe with, the tiniest grizzle, the least bit of uncomfortableness the way they spoke the other day. Or the thing that they didn't do that you figure they shoulda. Okay, so just pick one, only one. 
We're going to do an experiment if you're up for this. Davis is going to do this, so everybody else had better do it, all right? Remember the, the steps. Jesus, I'm starting. Now you finish it. Now be still. Just don't pray. Don't talk to him. Just be still and wait on him. Look for the first one percent of peace. We're going to stay still for about 30 seconds here. If you feel comfortable to, just make a motion with your hand if you feel more peace now than you did three minutes ago. Thank you. I don't know about you, it doesn't count. <laughs> That's, that was my training as a kid. So if it's a forgiveness thing that you can't work out or if it's just a, a thing where you're really struggling to do this being a good Christian thing. Could be your brain goes into mayhem when you're bored and good things don't happen at that point. <laughs> Could be that you know there's a thing about you where you're not real good at taking responsibility for stuff. Could be that your closest people wish you would say sorry more often. Could be that your closest people wish that you weren't always right. If that's a thing, you're allowed to wait on the Lord and let Jesus affect you. Any time of the day, 24-7, whatever your spot, he's here. Doesn't matter how salacious it is. I wish more Christian men had been discipled in how to let Jesus affect some of their sexual temptations. How to let Jesus affect the videos that are in their heads. It's not just men, by the way. Research is telling us that a very large percentage of Christian women are watching porn these days. It could be the things that we're a little bit overconfident about. It could be where we're just carrying our chin a little bit high. It could be the things where we're just a little bit proud, just a little bit too proud. Being one with Jesus is the only way to get this stuff changed. Otherwise, this is what you're left with. Turn up at church, sit in that row, look real good, wear the right clothes, pre life really well, because nobody's going to know except the Holy Spirit. The only way to get transformed is by letting Jesus be good in us. Him being in us, us being in him. That thing where you were looking for that little one percenter, that was you being in him. That was you scouring the terrain of your spirit, your soul, for the slightest evidence that he's at work. Turning your intentionality towards him, that is you being in him. Well done, those who got there today.
we chow down on a hunk of bread, what direction is it going? In. And we drink that little bit of grape juice, the direction that's going is in. And it'll be absorbed, sent out to every cell in our body where the nutrients in it can be utilised. The whole idea is in. Let's pray. God, I reckon you're breaking out something here today. I, I think you've got something special in mind for this crew. So would you make this the start, a new season, where this group of people gets supernatural help from Holy Spirit every day to do this in you thing. And they get supernatural help every day for letting Jesus into the rubbish that we haven't let go of yet. Show us how to let Jesus be good where we can't. Amen.